Hello, hello. There you go. Yeah, let's see. There you go. It's not me. That's good. Thank you, everyone. That's, uh, that's, that's lovely. And uh, well, because I'm super cool, shall I put it to the side like that? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it on for a little while and then I'll, I'll take it off if that's, if that's all right. So you, you don't get too distracted. Yeah. Thank, thank you. That's a, yeah. It's nice. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, had a nice birthday morning so far. And uh, yeah, very good. Very good. Anyway. Welcome. If you're new here or if you've been here regularly, it's great to, to see you. It's great to have you here amongst us. There's been a lot in the news, hasn't there, lately about climate change and the environment uh, this week. And if you haven't already, can I encourage you to visit our church website or on there? We've got a blog that Tom did back in July, and it's a, um, a blog on how the church should respond to climate change. I'll, I'll take this off now. So I, don't, I don't think you can take me seriously, can you? With that? I'll leave it there so as to remind people. I'll put it on that. Okay, there you go. Uh, so uh, uh, how the church should respond to it, and based on what the Bible teaches. And, you know, it's amazing, although not surprising, really, how relevant the Bible is to today's issues of life. That's actually why the writer of the letter of the Hebrews writes this in Hebrews um, chapter 4. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit, discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. And by living and active, it doesn't mean it suddenly your Bible comes alive at night time and starts running around your bedroom. It means it is relevant and speaks into every area of your life in every age that the Bible is read. As you read the Bible to understand what God says and what God thinks, you have this strange experience of actually the Bible is reading you. It's reading your life. And uh, right the way down to your thoughts and your motives of your heart, being exposed by God's word, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I won't look at anyone when I say I'll look at the camera. The good, the bad, and the ugly. There you go. I <laughs> won't look at anyone when I say uh, that. But... Um, not saying that you're ugly over this side. You're all very beautiful. So uh, <laughs> maybe I'll look at myself. Anyway, anyway, I'll carry on. I'll carry on. I, I, I digress. Um, all being exposed by God's word with the gracious purpose of us responding to what's in God's word so that we bring our lives under it, so that we start living for Jesus, so that we don't continue doing things that offend God that bring us under his judgment, but we look to Christ, we turn to Christ to receive his forgiveness and his blessing on our lives, recognizing what he has done for us on the cross. He died on the cross to take the punishment for your sin and my sin on himself so that we could be forgiven and that we could be free to know God, as we've just remembered by having communion together. All who put their trust in Jesus receive that eternal life and they get given the Holy Spirit who helps them to do the things that God has called them to do. He, he, he gives you the strength and the desire 
to do it. And as you do it, God will reward you for doing all the things he's called you to. You see, God is kind and he wants to bless you. Amen? Amen. Amen. He wants to bless you, not punish you. But if you choose to ignore God's message to you, his, his means of grace and forgiveness, the Bible's very clear in John 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Serious stuff we're into. And today, as we continue in our series on uh, 2 Corinthians, I just have three points that I want to bring to you of how we as Christians can be confident that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do all that God has called us to do. And those three things are that we need to be captivated with Christ, that we need to be confident in Christ, and that we need to be compelled by Christ. Captivated, confident, compelled. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If not, it will appear on the screen behind me, and actually the passage will stay up there, so uh, you, can, uh, you, you can see it. So I'm just going to read the first six verses to start with. It says this, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. I beg you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So captivated by Christ. That's my first point from these six verses. As said at the introduction to the series and to this letter, some people think that uh, such is the change in tone of Paul's language in, verses uh, in chapters 10 to 13, that actually that severe letter that Paul writes about in the first half of 2 Corinthians, someone's come along and attached it to the end, and these are those, uh, that, that severe letter. However, I'll just quote what Charles Hodge says to explain why this is not so. He says, There is no external evidence for this being a separate letter and the change in tone in the letter is much more likely that in chapters 1 to 9 he is addressing those who are doing well and in chapters 10 to 13 he is addressing those still opposed to him. So Paul after spending 39 verses over two chapters addressing the whole area of money, which we looked at the last two weeks, that, that area that so appeals to our flesh, that has literally a demonic hold and a godlike allure to so many people. That, after, after that, Paul moves on to the defense of his ministry and to write about what are, what are, uh, are some of the most used verses in Scripture 
in the area of spiritual warfare. He moves from speaking on behalf of his team to speaking uh, personally to them. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness. Now, meekness is not weakness, but it's power under control. Think of a big, strong shire horse, how much raw power that horse has. Yet when it's trained, it uses that power to pull or to carry a really heavy load. That's meekness. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face, but bold towards you when I'm away. Paul is taking what they are accusing him of being, that he is being uh, weak, if you like, that he is being worldly, that he's walking according to the flesh in fleshly ways. That's what they're, they're accusing him of. And he makes it clear that he isn't doing that at all. The reason why he is meek, the reason why he is gentle, the reason why he is humble when he is with them face to face. Is that because that's what Jesus is and was when he was here on earth? You see, the Roman world didn't prize these characteristics at all. It didn't prize meekness or gentleness or humbleness. They weren't things that said, oh yeah, they're great. And nor does our world today even. You look at some of the films now. Even women in films now are portrayed as being rough Tough, in-your-face, no-nonsense, vigilante-style heroes who are slightly out of control. Yet the Apostle Paul, who himself was a tour de force, you wouldn't want to mess with the Apostle Paul. He'd put you in prison and get you arrested. And yet he was completely captivated by the love of Christ and surrendered his life to him, to the one, to Jesus, who had absolute power and yet chose to only do what the Father had told him to do. That power is completely controlled in Christ. The one who could calm the storms, who could get 10,000 angels to do his bidding at just his word, and yet he was gentle with all the people he came across. The one who heaven worships and heaven serves took on the form of a servant and came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul was captivated by Jesus and willingly surrendered his life to do God's will and obey Jesus, right the way down to uh, the very heart level, at his thought level as well, willing to take every thought captive and make it obedient for, to Christ, punishing every disobedience that he, he found within himself. And as a church leader, as he was, also to punish unrepentant disobedience within the church itself when necessary, which is actually what Paul is getting here in verse 6 because the, the your in verse 6 there is in the second person plural. So he's addressing the church, your disobedience, he is, he is saying there. However, the principle, obviously, if it applies generally, 
It trickles down and applies to us at an individual level. And those of us that are wanting to please God, those of us that are wanting to live for God, this side of eternity, part of being mature, if you like, in your obedience to God, is that you are quick and ready to punish any disobedience within your life, right the way down to your thought and your heart level. And let me just give you a little word of advice on this. When the devil comes along, as he does, and he comes to tempt you, and uh, you, your heart resonates with that temptation, and you, you allow it some space there, or you just end up you know, dwelling on some thoughts that you know the Bible says you shouldn't, and the Holy Spirit convicts you. Be quick to say, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, I shouldn't, shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have let my heart go down that line. I'm sorry that my heart resonates with that, so, that, that thought so readily. And then don't dwell on your emotions too much, whether you feel guilty about it or, or not guilty, uh, as sometimes the case may be, because often that can lead you in the cycle when you dwell on that. You sort of, oh, I'm sorry for that. I'm, I'm such a shame. I always think about that sort of thing. Oh, I'm sorry. And then before you know it, you're thinking about the thing that you, know, you just said sorry for. What a better way of doing it is you say, quick to say sorry, and then as Philippians 4, verse 8, encourages us, it says this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So you seek forgiveness and then you actively move your mind to think about something that is lovely, something that is pure, something that is commendable. And actually that is real repentance. Repentance isn't just saying sorry. Repentance is recognizing that's wrong, saying sorry for it, and turning away and going down the straight path that God has for you, going towards him. And so if you do that, that will help you when you struggle with these things. So we're called to take every thought captive that comes our way. And whilst I'm not minimizing the personal discipline that we all have to do to, to, um, to uh, obey this part of Scripture. It's not self-help that we preach here. It's Christ. And therefore, we need to go to him. We need to draw, as Thomas encouraged us this morning, and as the word that Grant had at the beginning encouraged us, we need to draw upon the Holy Spirit's strength to help us. We need to, we need to ask him to put to death our sinful nature. We need to keep in step with his leading on our life. We need to stay soft to his spirit's convictions. You know, we could all get convicted and sometimes we have that choice, don't we, of listening to it or actually ignoring it. And we need to be quick to respond to it. When, to respond to the Holy Spirit, not it, to him, when he challenges us. Because there is a spiritual battle going on. It's not just fleshly things that we are dealing here. And you see, and whilst it's true for us on an individual level, the devil loves to tempt you personally. He loves to see you ensnared 
in evil patterns and sinful ways. He loves that because it leads you away from God. And actually our sinful nature, our sinful heart often resonates with that side of things. So we need to be aware of that. My friends, you have to be aware that Paul is actually addressing this at a macro level. So it's true for us as an individual, but he's addressing it wider than that. Arguments and lofty opinions of verse 5 includes concepts and ideologies that society around us is promoting that are opposed to the truth of the gospel. You have to be aware of that in the spiritual battle. There is a spiritual power behind ideologies and concepts, whether they recognize the spiritual realm or not. The spiritual stronghold behind them is still just as strong. So humanistic atheism, for, for example, that we say, oh no, no, we don't even believe in the spiritual realm, is just as spiritually dark as any other religion. And the demonic power of deception behind it is just as strong as it is in any other religion. The whole LGBTQI agenda that is being promoted on society and the ideology with that that is being pushed needs to be seen for what it actually is. It's a religious view being enforced upon people with spiritual powers at work behind it, leading people away from Christ to a way that the Bible says is a right way to live, to come under the devil's authority and under his control, with his ultimate aim, as the Bible makes clear, is to steal, kill, and destroy life. That's what Jesus taught in John 10.10. And just to be clear here, I'm not denying that people struggle with these thoughts and feelings. And I'm not saying at an individual level that they're religiously inspired within somebody. But what I am saying is that the LGBTQ ideology that is being promoted in society is actually a spiritual ideology. Like any other religion, it's based upon the issues and things that we face in life but it's being preached fanatically within our society, particularly within schools, in fact. So my friends, in love, we have to stand up against this. We have to fight against this. Not physically, not waging war according to the flesh, as Paul makes clear in this passage, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds, to show Christ's love, to those who would consider us their enemies, to show God's kindness to the world around us, even when people aren't kind towards us, to get on our knees and to pray for people that the Holy Spirit would break into their lives, to speak the truth in love and not shy away from it, even though it makes us unpopular. You know, every generation has had their issues which made them unpopular as they stood up for Jesus, my friends. And we're no different. Jesus is the only one who has come to bring life and life in all its fullness. And our job, like the apostle, thank you, Kurt, like the apostle, 
is to display Christ in our words and our deeds so that others get captivated by the beauty of Jesus and surrender their life to the one who gave his life for them so that they might have eternal life. Amen? We need to be prepared to stand up, to be disliked, persecuted even. And we'll do that if we are captivated by Christ more than we're captivated by anything else in the world. And we'll also do that when we are confident in Christ, which leads me to my second point. So I'm going to read from verse 7 to 12. I'm also going to read verse 2 and 18 because they, they fit in. It says this, I beg you, verse 2, it's on the screen behind me, should be, I beg you that when I am present, I, am, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Verse 7, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is in Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is in Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. What an insult to the apostle. Let such a person understand that we say, that what we say by letter when we are absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Then verse 18, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. You see, Paul's opponents were putting Paul's actions down to his weakness. Now, we can be bold in his letters when he's not here with us, but if he was a confident leader in Christ, where well, he would be strong, he would be domineering, he would be forceful like, like we are, like any good leader in the Roman world should be. But Paul is clear. Stop commending yourselves, verse 18, or comparing yourself with one another, verse 12. It's before God that we stand or fall. And it's, as Christians, we're looking to the Lord to commend us, not people. Paul is coming to deal with the sin exactly as he said he would. But the purpose of his letter was to allow time for repentance. Paul was not weak or looking to use his authority to, to tear down the church in, in discipline but allowing time for repentance so that he could build up the church. Verse 8 makes clear. My friends, where are you getting your confidence from? Is it from people? Is it from the job that you have? Is it from your status in society or your wealth or even your appearance, maybe? 
From whom are you wanting to be commended by in life? A spouse, a children, people out there, society at large. Part of taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ is dealing with these idols in our life, which is what they become if they hold more sway on us than Jesus, if they hold greater value to us than Christ. Live for the audience of one. Live for Jesus. Look to Jesus. Be content with Christ's approval on your life, even if it means that you have his approval and everyone else's disapproval. That is far better for you. If, if the world is against Anthanasius, Anthanasius is against the world. And if you don't know what that means, Google it and look up. It's a famous Christian leader uh, in the early church. But better to have God's approval and everyone else's disapproval than the other way round, my friends. And one final note, just a, a side on, on this passage here, and that is don't put anything in writing, whether that be letter, email, social media, or text, or something like that, that you wouldn't say to somebody's face. As Paul makes clear, he's happy to speak to them face to face. And actually, like Paul, in the first instance, it's better to go and speak to people face to face than because things in writing often come across weightier and stronger than you intended when you write them. And also, can I encourage you, ask yourself, what is your motive of writing this letter? You see, Paul's letter was written because he wanted to build up the church. If you're sort of thinking, oh, I just want to moan about it, well, moan to God. Pray to him about it. But if it's actually, no, this is an area I want to build up the church, then you, that will shape how you write a letter. So that's just a little aside on that bit. Okay, finally, we as Christians are called to be compelled by Christ. So 2 Corinthians 10, 13, it says this. But we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us, to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another areas of area, another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends." Interesting, isn't it? Paul moves back from speaking personally to speaking in the first person plural. He's including his team with him. And he explains how what they as a team have been compelled by God to do, which is to plant churches 
all over the Roman world as they go about preaching the gospel. Corinth itself was a fruit of their ministry, of that ministry, of that team. As individuals here in the room, if you know Jesus, you are called, you are commissioned, are compelled by God to preach the good news, the gospel to those around you. And we as a church together are called to let the gospel ring out from us here into Helsham, into the surrounding area and beyond as well, even to the ends of the earth. Like Paul, let's be thinking more about not just what's God got for me in my ministry, that's part of it, but let's be thinking what are we called to do? We're involved in this together. God God wants us all involved in reaching the nations and in reaching the area around us. So it's great that in two weeks' time, on the 20th of November, uh, I actually am able to go back out to Kenya to see the worker over there. And Owen and Catherine are coming with me and Ken Matthews. And we're going to help the Somali uh, church leaders over there to help do some teaching and training and encouragement with them as they seek to take the gospel amongst their people in the Horn of Africa. And that's, uh, yes, I'm, I'm going, but we are going. We're involved in this, and we value your prayers for us in that whilst beforehand and whilst we're there as well. You see, the love of Christ compels the one who is captivated and confident in Christ to play their part in the Great Commission. The Great Commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth is incumbent upon every Christian in every age. I'm going to misquote him, but uh, Spurgeon uh, says that the great commission is a command to be obeyed, not a choice to be considered. It's a command for us to be obeyed. Something along those lines, he says. Anyway, together as a church, as Christ church, we are called to share the love of Jesus in Helsham and beyond by the power of of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. In Christ Jesus, we can be confident that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have all we need to fulfill all God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Can I invite the band to come back up here? Can I invite you guys to stand if you're able to? And I'm just going to do a fresh prayer for us, of, uh, uh, for us as Christians, for us to just pray a prayer of surrender to him afresh, saying, Lord, I just want to live for you, I want to give you my all with my life. And if you, if you want that, can I encourage you just to place your hands out in front of you. If you're here saying, yes, God, I want to live for you afresh this morning. If you can, just place your hands out in front of you as a sign to God, as a physical sign, saying, God, I want... I want to live for you. I want to take every thought captive. I want to be obedient to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that your presence has been here with us all this morning, Lord God. I thank you your presence is always with us because you live inside of us, Lord God. And Lord, we just surrender 
afresh to you. Lord God, we so easily get distracted. We so easily get enticed by things that we shouldn't do. And we just say we're sorry for that, Lord God. Help us to live afresh for you, Lord God. Help us to give ourselves, Lord God, to do all that you have called us to do. Holy Spirit, have your way in us, I pray. We surrender afresh to you this morning. If you're here and you don't know Jesus or you know you've been away from Jesus, just pray this prayer of surrender to him afresh. Or if you're watching online and you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to, just pray this prayer of surrender to him. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all the things that I have done that offend you. Please help me to live the rest of my life for you. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, please come and speak to me afterwards if you're in the room. Or if, uh, if you're online, please contact the office. We'd love to, we'd love to get, uh, get to know you and help you in your Christian journey. But as we sing this song, can I encourage uh, the uh, task team just to uh, move those chairs over there, please? And we just want to make space for people who want prayer this morning. If you want prayer for healing, you've heard a testimony of healing this week. We've seen healing, several healings over the last few weeks. So let's, if you want prayer for healing for anything physical or mental or anything you're struggling with, please, we'd love to stand with you and pray for you in that. If you want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit this morning, you just know, I just need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I just want someone to stand with me and lay hands on me and ask, to, uh, ask God to fill me afresh. So again, come to this space over here. And as I've been speaking, some of you might say, yeah, I'd love to be confident in Christ, but I just don't feel that confidence. I don't feel that assurance in myself. That's not something you earn. That's a gift that is given. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you're struggling with that assurance, again, come forward to the front over here and we'd love to pray for you as we sing this song. But let's, the rest of us, let's use this song as a, a prayer of surrender to, to God. Over to you, Rob.